Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. There's a place here at the table. Your coats go by the door. You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor. I hope you wore elastic, cause your waistband's gonna get tight. Eight times done, we're having a night. Hi, friends. It's Sophie. And Ari, and you're listening to Having a Night, the podcast dedicated to reviving the lost art of the dinner party. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have such a special guest on today, like really a, a dream come true of a woman and an episode. Sophie, tell me what you ate this week. I want to hear, but I also want to get to to our Exactly. I'm like, let's keep this tight so that we can get to the meat of the episode. Harry and I are doing a wine class, like an eight-week wine class with Paul Greco, who runs this fantastic wine bar in New York called Terroir, and obviously all of the bars, wine bars, et cetera, in New York and other cities have sort of pivoted and started doing online classes. So he drops the wine off at our house, like he drops off sort of like four weeks worth, and then every Tuesday you do a tasting. So yesterday was Germany and Austria. I come from German stock. I've wanted <laughs> to really bust out my German recipes. Oh, so yeah. I made, so my dad has been making sauerkraut for a number of years. So there's always like a jar of sauerkraut in my fridge. So I actually like in a pan heated the sauerkraut and then did sausages on top of that. So sort of mm. like a shukutgani type of thing. Jesus, help. help then me. I made a little cucumber salad, like a creamy cucumber salad with shallots and dill and then I did baby potatoes, like new potatoes with so much butter. Oh my God, so much butter. How much? How much? Um, I didn't measure, but I would say probably like four tablespoons worth. I mean, yeah. you got to be generous. Of course. Um, dill, parsley, a lot of salt, a lot of pepper. And I did green beans in a garlic butter. And I had never made garlic butter this way. I feel like usually I'll just sort of like fry garlic and butter. But this, I just warmed the butter with a with one crushed clove in it and then took mm. the clove out. So mm-hmm. it was really just kind of, um, you know, suffused with that flavor. It was yes. very, very good. That sounds, I'm ravenous right now. That sounds delicious, delightful on theme. You really nailed it. Thank you so much. And also PS guys, Jesus. if you have not been drinking German wines, what the hell have you been doing with your life? God, I love a Riesling, a Gewürztraminer. Yeah. A Grüner Weltliner. It's so tasty. Okay, what did you eat this week? Oh my gosh. Um, I, hearkening back to my roots, I took this uh, pasta making course with the fabulous Fiona of Cooking with Fiona on Instagram. And she, if you don't follow her already, she makes these incredible colored pastas. They are so beautiful. You guys have to go look. I'm not like a food porn person, but these are <laughs> stunning. I mean, they look like, beautiful 1940s candies or something. Yeah, they really are. And they're not artificially colored. She uses for like all the reds, beetroot, and or she does roasted red pepper. It's all just from um, other ingredients. And so we made a green and a yellow and kind of learned her method. And I just made all this linguine, this gorgeous linguine. And the way that she infuses the color is that she'll so green, we used parsley and we pureed the parsley with the eggs and the egg yolks for the wet part of your pasta dough mm-hmm. with some olive oil. And then once, you know, we're talking about making pasta by hand where you put the flour out, you know, on the table and you make a well, and then you pour usually your egg mixture in this inside and swirl it around. So by kind of pureeing it all together first mm-hmm. and then pouring it in the middle, then you had this like beautiful green kind of frothiness right in there. It, it's also just a smart idea if you're not even doing colored to blend the eggs and if you need olive oil, which I think is kind of great, even though some purists will say, no, it's really great for um, stuffed pastas when you need it to be a slightly stickier. Yeah. 
just kind of frothing that up first and mixing it together and then pouring it in um, makes it, I don't know, it feels more satisfying. We have a pasta video that we made a while ago in which Ari had pre-mixed her eggs. Mm-hmm. And Ari is the person who taught me how to make pasta. So of course I did not pre-mix my eggs because I was like, <laughs> this is the way to do it. And mine was such a disaster. And pre-mixing your eggs is, is an excellent shortcut, I think. Yeah. So I don't think it changed. It doesn't alter anything. It doesn't change uh-huh. the flavor, the like the body, the bite. It just exactly. It's just smarter. Did you use just regular parsley, like fresh parsley? Yeah. So if you, you could also use spinach, but spinach has so much water in it that you would have to saute it a bit first. Um, she said not to blanch because you'll just get more water. So why not you, you know, cook it down with some olive oil, maybe a little garlic, get some more flavor. Um, and then instead of adding the extra oil, it's already in with the spinach, but she also did like a roasted red pepper. Mm -hmm. Wow. 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 Well, what's nice about that. So I guess when you had been talking about using powders, like a turmeric or like a beet powder, Mm -hmm. that made sense to me because it's like, oh, it's so easy to mix in with the flour, but that's of course why you blend it with the eggs already is so like, then you just, so you could totally use just like a roasted red pepper, which is crazy. You don't need to turn it into a powder first is what I'm saying. Exactly. And since the kind of, you know, when you get used to making pasta, you start to realize it's not about proportions because it's all about just like, listen, I hate to be so kind of annoying about it, but listening to the pasta, like let it inform you how much flour it needs because eggs are all different sizes. So any recipe that's like, you need four whole eggs and two yolks, it's an approximation. Yeah. Um. So if you were to put the powder in with the flour, it wouldn't necessarily take all of it. So it's just a better way to control the color, Yeah. putting it in with the liquid. Anyway, I just have to give a Quick shout out to last week's episode. Hey, last week's episode, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, because we talked a lot about doing like lamb braises and stews, and I am doing a lamb shank braise right now. It's in the oven. It smells so incredible. What's in there? So I found a David Tannis re- recipe. I love David Tannis so much, as you know, we both do. So let's see. It started with sauteed onions, then added some garlic, a little bit of paprika, salt, pepper. I had done the lamb shanks yesterday. So I basically not really marinated, but you know, salt, pepper, rosemary, Mm. uh, no garlic. I don't think just kind of rubbed that all over them. They sat in the refrigerator overnight, then put them in interestingly, no browning. Uh So it was those, you know, the, the garlic and the onion and then broth. I had made a vegetable broth the other day, a can of tomatoes, and then the lamb shanks, and they are just bubbling away and smelling incredible. But he leaves them like a quarter uncovered. So that when they're in the oven, uh-huh. they go into the oven uncovered. So then they actually do end up getting brown. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So smart. Which, that exactly. David Tannis. That David. And then that I'm doing it great. with a polenta and gremolata. Woo, woo, woo. Anyway. Delicious. This week. This week. We have on. Well, you already know who we have on because it's the title of the episode, but <laughs> it's not a surprise to you listeners. But we have on Dory Greenspan. She is legendary in the food world. She's a cookbook author, recipe writer, a James Beard Award winner, New York Times bestselling author, baker, chef, just a, a joy of a human being. Truly. I mean, not only is she obviously incredibly accomplished, but she was so kind and just... I kind of felt like we had known her for such a long time. Mm-hmm. I almost felt like, she, like I don't know. I, I just felt so welcome in her environment, and it was such a joy to talk to her. And like, really, one of a you know one of the big dreams come true for us because, as you know, obviously we love everybody that we interview, but there are some people where we're like, wow, that'll never happen. And she right. was definitely one of them. Oh my god, so, big time! I also just realized that I I, I say a hundred times in this interview, cut the cheese. And like, mm-hmm. never once did we actually refer to the fact that like that is also a phrase that refers to farting everybody. So yep. if you start giggling, we forgive you. Yes. So hope you guys enjoy and we'll see you on the other side. We're here with Dory Greenspan, who we're such huge fans of your column, your work, your cookbooks, your everything. So thank, thank you for you. coming on. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really glad to be with you. I would love to start with sort of the very beginning of prepping for a dinner party. Grocery shopping. It's a huge topic. And I get the sense 
that everybody grocery shops differently. So as somebody who lives part of the year in France, part of the year in America, do you shop differently in those two places? How do you shop? What's your methodology? So I was doing okay until you said methodology. Yes, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm sort of being facetious, but yeah. right because I am the most loosey goosey, disorganized. I I always think people think I'm very organized because my hair is so short, <laughs> right? It's all it's but it's just a you know an illusion. My husband will tell you that. Um, don't listen to me if I tell you in the morning you're coming for dinner and I'm making beef stew because by the time you get to the house, I might be making, you know, couscous. I'm never that organized. So in America, I've been living almost full time now in Connecticut. I'm, I have to shop at supermarkets. I'm like, I did when I wrote my, my, last book, Everyday Dory, I said to my recipe tester, you know, this is like my stop and shop cookbook. And she said, yeah, now you're like everyone else. (laughs) So I do a lot of my shopping in the supermarket. We have, um, it's a pretty small town. So there are a few terrific specialty shops, a great fishmonger, a good shop where um, fromage, which seems to have just when you think you'll never be able to find something, she has it. But day to day, it's supermarket. In Paris, oh, in uh, Paris, oh, oh, I mean, it's such a pleasure for me to shop in Paris. So I've been in the before times. Um, I've lived in the same neighborhood for over 20 years. So I shop at Twiggy the Cheesemonger. You know, I have, um, I get oysters from Regis. I go to the Boulevard Raspine Market. I know the vendors there. It's, it takes forever to shop, <laughs> but it's also, it's such a pleasure. It's, you know, mm-hmm. to stop and to chat, to have the time to taste something, to see how the market's change how the seasons change oh here are the first strawberries or there's the first poti marron it has a completely different feeling mm-hmm. and even when i don't need anything i go to the market for the pleasure of of being there so yeah it's completely different we've managed to take all of the pleasure and fun and beauty and like slowness out of out of food and its reverence. And it's just, we really stripped it to like the necessity just in the act of shopping for it. And I think Sophie and I are always like, God, I wish that I, I could live in a village and I would have my cheesemonger, my fishmonger, the butcher, but Paris, it really, it's like the Europeans take it a step further to have those relationships and you're going in and these people become your friends. And then you really, you're just so more attuned to the rhythms of what what's in season what's coming in and out yeah. and connected to the earth in that way i mean i'm just jealous <laughs> well i mean we can do that here there are green markets there are yeah. farmers markets there are here where i am in connecticut um there are a couple of winter markets but it's you know in the summer there are great farmers markets and you yeah. get that same that same feel and i think you can do it day to day it's a greater effort. You have to say, this is the way I want to shop. And I'm going to set aside the time to do that. I'm going to take the time to really talk to the producers, talk to the vendors, get to know. It's just, it's it's easier in Paris. Yeah. yeah. I live very close to the green market in Union Square, thank God. So I do you know 95% of my food shopping there, but it is wild to go from there. And then there's a Whole Foods on 14th Street, which I have not been in in nearly a year. I'm kind of proud of my wow, non-Whole Foods-ness right now. <laughs> but but it's you're in the green market, everything is completely seasonal. You step into Whole Foods and there's no such thing as a season. Of course, we now think of it as being normal, but once upon a time, it would have been so bizarre to see these avocados in December and tomatoes in December. And it's it sort of severs the connection to the earth in a way. You know, it's funny. You made me think of an experience that I look forward to in France and I can count on it. So you're walking along in the market and you hear someone say, oh, the butter, it's yellow. 
spring is here. Oh. And, you know, you also know it's spring because the little wild asparagus are there. They look like they're, yes. they're a be- right, a beautiful green and they look like little wheat stalks. But the butter, because artisanal butter is made from milk, cream, that for cows who've grazed in the pasture. And so in the winter, the cows eat hay Mm. and the butter is white. And slowly as they start eating grass, you can see the butter change color. And it's one of the, one of the great signs of spring. And I love that people notice it. Yeah. And this is not to say people don't notice it here. Right. It's just that when I'm there, um, I'm out more. And yeah. so, you know, I hear this and I look forward to those, those little, those little tidbits that let me know what, you know, what's happening in the market. Yeah. Do you shop for the week or do you shop for your meal that evening? So I shop daily and I pretty much shop daily here in Connecticut because so I'm at home all day. I write, I cook, right? Going to the supermarket, that's, you know, that's somebody else is going to the movies. Um, <laughs> right? yeah, so the, that's how I feel. Yep. Right. But, but everything changed with the pandemic. And it was actually one of the hardest, well, there were a lot of things to get used to, but it was difficult for me to not shop all the time. It was difficult for me to plan ahead to stock a refrigerator and a freezer. I never did that. I always shopped and cooked and shopped and cooked. And so this past, well, it's almost a year, um, has really been a learning experience for me. It's funny, I was telling this to somebody yesterday because now my my what I had stocked in the freezer, well, it's now a long time, that it's, you know, I've, I've, I've cooked it down. Right. Um, but there was something fun about shopping in the basement, about having, you know, having bought. I went to when 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 it first looked like, you know, we were going to be in lockdown. I went to our local fishmonger and I said, and I never I never buy fish to freeze. I buy it to cook. I said, make me 14 packets of fish. Don't even tell me what you're giving me. Just make a package and I'll come pick it up. And of course he did label it, but um, so I had no, but I, so I had, well, and that was a good thing because I had to know what it was, but I didn't know what he was going to be giving me. And so I had these 14 dinners packed away. Um, I bought all parts of the chicken and whole chicken. And I had, a, for the first time in my life, I had a freezer full of food. It was kind of fun. Yeah. I'd like to think, and I think it's true for me, we became better cooks during this period maybe more confident cooks, more creative cooks, because we were using what we had. And I've never cooked so many meals in a row. Yeah, even the professionals, it's really, it's a lot. And it does take a toll. And sometimes you just got to order a pizza because it's too much. Omelets. When things get too Ooh. much, yeah, when things get too much, I turn to my husband and say, your turn. And he make his his turn is either grilling or omelets. So omelets, omelets are good. They omelets, are very good. An omelet yeah. with a salad and a glass of wine—it's sort of the perfect dinner, anyway. But they've got to be French. I really, I don't like a hard cooked omelet, like a diner style, <laughs> like an overcooked egg. <laughs> I have to just quickly interject. We weren't supposed to talk about this, but I have been having so much trouble, Dory. Maybe you can help me with unfreezing fish. How do you do it? Do you do it like slowly over the course of the day in the refrigerator? Do you take it out of the package or let it thaw in the package? Well, it depends on the package. Um, But I, yeah, I, I usually take things out of the package and, um, and keep them in the refrigerator and do it slowly unless I don't have the time yeah um you know so shrimp i'll defrost in cold water the other day i was making what was i making turkey burgers i Mm. I don't don't ask i had never made them in my life and then i made a (laughs) recipe ever and then i was working on a recipe and i made these turkey burgers and i became obsessed with them 
they had like a lot of cilantro, a lot of scallions, ginger, mm. um, sambal, olet, you know, chili. Oh, I mean, because the turkey has no flavor, no fat, yeah. no right. tech. Right. Okay. So all that other stuff, it's like a good carrier for that. Um, and I just put the package of turkey, I wrapped it up really well, and I put that in cold water too. Hmm. I, was, I was in a hurry. Yeah. I mean, there are people, I don't know how to use the microwave for that kind of thing, but. I'll just you know, find that fish, it's like if you've got like a vacuum sealed piece of salmon or halibut, it just retains so much water and then it starts to like break down. Yes, it starts you know, to get almost mealy. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's very which weird. Is no, hold on. And of course, you do have to dry it. And, yeah. yeah. Sophie's yeah. dad actually once, we have a picture of him with a blow dryer. I think he was drying up a chicken skin, but I think you could use that technique maybe on a piece of fish. Yeah. <laughs> so this has nothing to do with fish, but it does have to do with blow dryers. Great. Um, right? Cheesecake. If ever you've made like cheesecake or any, or if you ever make a jello mold again in your life, but um Cheesecake made in a springform pan. Mm-hmm. Best way to get the springform off is to use your hair dryer to warm the edge of the springform. Just because you mentioned hair. Wow, <laughs> listeners, you heard it here first. <laughs> I honestly, I actually just put my blow dryer like into storage because I was not using it during this past year. But maybe I should keep it in the kitchen instead. It seems like it would get more use in the kitchen than on my head. <laughs> right? I mean, you never know when a cheesecake is going to need a quick blow dry, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about once we do our grocery shopping and we get home, we're having, you know, back in the good old days, a dinner party. I think a lot of us here, or I can only speak for myself, but I imagine that a Parisian dinner party is so fantastic and spectacular and just filled it goes on all night and people are eating like escargot and having a cigarette and wine and <laughs> fighting and, and kissing and, and Ari is not prone to stereotyping at all we promise <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I just imagine I saw that movie yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, I saw that movie yep and it was good <laughs> and it was very good right realistically though what what are the biggest differences you find in the way that people entertain in, in France versus America? There's so many ways. I, so the first thing that came to mind when you said that was how often my French friends invite people for dinner. Hmm. It's not, for some of them, it's a big deal. But for a lot of them, it's really just, they say, come home for dinner. We, and I love that idea of coming home for dinner as opposed to mm-hmm. I'm making a dinner party. Right. I feel like I have dinner at friends' homes and I invite friends to our home more often in France than I do here. And people somehow seem more available. I don't know why. I mean, it's not, you're not planning a month ahead. Right. Um, it's, you know, come next week, come at the end of the week. What are you doing Saturday night? So I think there's a, an, an easiness to it. I think that there's something about the pace of the dinner party or the dinner that it's just slower. You know that even on a school night, you're not leaving the table before midnight. Mm-hmm. Right? So you start late. You know, people work late. They might be meeting friends for a drink before they come to you. So 8 o'clock, 8.30 on a Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's at least an hour. I feel like I feel like some of my friends have a clock in their head that dings when an hour is up. So it's an hour to sit and have a glass of wine and nibble something, you know, an aperitif time, cocktail time, and then you move to the table. In the old-fashioned dinner party, and it was a starter, a main course, a cheese course, and dessert. These days, it's either dessert or cheese. Mm. Not always, but but it's it's not. You just you sit. You just sit and you talk, and it's slow, 
And when I buy wine for dinner in Paris, I buy one bottle per person. Mm-hmm. When, when, when we first moved to Paris, we lived in an apartment that had a courtyard. And nobody, people would nod and say hello, but nobody really talked to us. Um, but one day I was down at the recycle bin and I had a bag full of empty bottles, wine bottles, and I'm putting the bottles in clank, clash one after the other. And um, my neighbor from across the street, of course, we all looked at one another and knew what was going on. <laughs> never acknowledged that. He said, ah, you've become a Parisian. <laughs> seeing all those bottles but so it's a very slow evening the conversation just ranges people seem more comfortable more at ease more okay um i'm here and i'm only here mm. mm-hmm. well i did notice about that you had mentioned in your the the new york times piece that you wrote about dinner parties in 2017 I loved that yeah. whole thing. You and Gabrielle Hamilton, it was so, so wonderful. But you mm-hmm. were mentioning that at this dinner party or dinner that you were having in Paris, that somebody asked permission to take out his phone to show you photos of something. And yes. here, it's totally normal behavior to not just not ask to take out your phone, but to be sitting mid-texting with other human beings who are not present. Yeah. And is that something that in, in Paris, like that is so not done? No. No, you see it in restaurants mm. and you see it in cafes, but no, not at, not at dinner. You come it's to so dinner rude. to be, it's so rude. It's so rude. I mean, you come to dinner to be with your friends. That's why you come to dinner. And living in Paris has made me more comfortable about having friends come for dinner because I realize that it's not the food. It's all of us around the table. Mm. It's just that someone raised their hand and said, okay, tonight's my night, come over. And the craziness of everything has to be perfect. Um, What am I going to serve? Oh, dear, did I serve Marie that quiche before? What is she going to think if I do it again? Um, It's all gone. It's all gone. It's about having people around the table and having conversations. Amen. There is a certain American idea of optimization and cramming as much as you possibly can into a short amount of an amount of time. And I need to be working to my highest potential that sort of prevents us, prevents people from being able to relax in that way. Right. So it is oh, well, I actually have dinner plans for the next seven weeks, so I'll probably be able to see you the second week of April. And then coming to a dinner with your phone and you're like, oh, it's just work stuff. Sorry, I'm just going to have to duck out for 10 minutes. And then, well, hey, it's 10 p.m. and I've got an early morning with my trainer, right? It's so... Oh, oh I'm getting I'm getting hives. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so, it's so true. It's literally allergic behavior. <laughs> Let's go back to Ari's description of sitting around with a cigarette. And That's no. exactly. That Enjoying was a life. That was a better movie. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you're talking about. My friends of Paris work. A lot of them are in the restaurant business, which means that they work late and they start early. And yet there's always time for friends. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, more than anything, I mean, that's the kind of the takeaway from the French home food scene. It's about being together. You know, it's easier in France to see your friends because there's a cafe. I mean, again, we're talking about before times, but yeah, right. you know, you could. I always felt like the day in Paris um, had more parts to it. Mm. Could go to a cafe and meet someone for coffee before you hopped on the metro to go to work. Um, lunch was long enough that you could stop and meet someone for lunch. There was, you know, a cafe for meeting, um, for a glass of wine before dinner. So there were, I feel like it's a much more social society mm-hmm. than ours. They still have hedge funds and, 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 you know, stuff like that, but somehow they managed to take time for life and their friends. And we should too. We should too. It's true. I hope that when people listen to this, that they 
take a little bit of that to heart. I'm sure they will. How could you not? Life is not so worth living if you don't get to actually live it. (laughs) Right. Right. I want that on a (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) I'll make it for you. Great. Okay. (laughs) Dory Greenspan wore our (laughs) t-shirts. Let's talk a bit about what we, we might cook. I know that quick bread recipe you have in the Times Magazine with, you know, delicious goat cheese and fig. Figs, what, yeah. What are other, like, tricks like that, that that a home chef, home cook might have up their sleeve? One of the things that I do, and I actually have kind of become known for it, is I make gougere cheese puffs. And I make about 100 of them at a time. And I use, yeah, so it it just means doubling the recipe and making them smaller. But um, I use a cookie scoop, a little baby cookie scoop to Uh scoop out the dough. So it's, um, gougere are made on the base of of cream puff dough, but savory. And so um, actually cream puff dough is, it's an amazing dough because it's neutral. It doesn't have sugar in it. It has kind of like a pinch. It can have a pinch of salt, but it can be either sweet or savory. It can be profiterole or it can be gougere. And so to make gougere, you add cheese to the the cream puff dough. So I make the the cream puff dough and I scoop it out into like a hundred little balls, all tightly pressed one against the other and put them in the freezer. And then when they're frozen, just separate them and put them, pack them. So when you come to my home, and I hope one day you will, 25 minutes before you're supposed to arrive, or 45 minutes before a French person is supposed to arrive, because, (laughs) no, no, 40, but I'll get this right. Um, The the French are never on time, and it's it's, but it's considered rude to come on time. Right. You have to give the host a little moment just in case he or she isn't ready. So when I think you're going to arrive 30 minutes before that, um, I pop them in the oven so that when you come through the door, you get the smell of warm cheese and toasty dough. And I've got cold white wine or champagne waiting for you. And it's easy. It's easy. It's it's like a ready-made because right. it's in the freezer. And so I always have those. And just because I have them, they became um, kind of my signature. And it's nice to have a signature. It's nice to have something that people expect you to serve, that they look forward to having you serve. And it's nice for you because that's one thing you can just check off the list. Done. Yeah. Well, especially if if you can make them a hundred at a time and then you just break them off. And it's also just yeah. something that you don't have to think about when exactly. you're prepping everything else. I mean, Gougere exactly. is one of my favorite foods in the entire world. They are so good, but is the batter really that simple? Okay, so I'm going to walk you through it very quickly because it's the most unusual dough because it's the only dough I know of that's cooked and then baked. So it's water. I do half cup water, half cup milk, um, stick of butter, some salt. I put a little sugar in just because it helps it brown. And you bring that to a boil in a saucepan. And then you would think I would remember after all these years. I think it's a (laughs) cup of flour and you just dump it in and then you stir, stir, stir like mad until you get like a ball of dough. Right. You want to dry it. Then you mix in eggs and you mix in cheese and you've got the base for gougere. Anyone can do it. And then you can play with it. And it's like a little one pot recipe, which that's always the dream. One pot, one bowl. One right. pot, well, one that's, bowl. that's, that's, that's or fair. one pot of a mixer. Um, but you can add mustard. You can add, I added walnuts once you can add little bits of ham or, or, or bacon. You can add flavor to it. You can sprinkle the top with, um, grated cheese. I mean, they can become your gougere. Mm-hmm. Maybe gougere will be my signature too. Dari, do I you have a signature? You. Thank you. I give it to you. I give it to you. I share my signature with you. Oh, that's so kind. I don't think mm-hmm. I have a signature. I uh, definitely don't. But now I'm like, why have I wasted all my time not just having a thing that people expect and that they love? Right? Can we talk a little bit about how to cut cheese? Because oh. you did mention this. 
Yes. Okay, so I was once at a dinner party and I was accused of cutting the nose off of the cheese. And I feel that I am very conscientious with my cheese behavior. I would never, I would never scoop out a piece of cheese. I would never try to cut cheese wrong. But I was slightly confused because the cheese was on its side. It's like, how else could I cut it? Yeah, how can you describe for listeners what cutting off the nose, what they were accusing you of specifically? Yes. Yes. I'm still embarrassed. It's okay. You're among friends. But what does that mean? So I think, and Dory, please correct me if I'm wrong. Let's say you have a triangle of cheese. Mm -hmm. It could be hard cheese. It could be medium cheese. It could be soft cheese. It basically means you cut off the point instead of cutting a long slice, as in instead of cutting a slice along the length. Exactly. So cheese, it's complicated. When we moved to Paris and I finally had a kitchen, forget that it didn't have an oven and the sink, I used to wash my dishes in the bathtub, but never mind. I invited people in. I wanted to have friends in. And we were being invited to dinner parties. And I, like Sophie, cut the nose off the cheese. Mm-hmm. And no one said anything to me. And I said to my, but you know, you could, you could see like one beautifully tweezed, penciled eyebrow raised. Yeah. Um, and, and so I said to my friend after dinner the following day, I said, did I do something wrong with the cheese? She said, well, it's okay. You're American. Ooh. Oh, no. Oh, that's even worse than just saying yes. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm American, and it's nice that you're forgiving me, but I really would like to know what the right thing is. Um, can you help me? She said, well, the ideal is that as you cut the cheese, you should cut it in such a way that the piece that's left has the shape of its original, mm-hmm. okay? I don't know how you do this with, there are bunches of shapes that I I don't know how you do it with, but with a triangular cheese, it's easy. So you do cut a long slice because the center of the cheese is considered the best part of the cheese. So if you cut the nose off, you're being selfish. You're taking the best part for yourself. So I I found a book that was, what was it called? It was a little soft, like a stapled together pamphlet of 50 some odd pages called the art of cutting cheese oh. and it was like I know it was like my seventh grade geometry book it had all the shapes with arrows and lines and knives and this is the way you cut it I had people to dinner we must have been we were too many people for my table so we must have been like 12 and there was an American woman who had never been to Paris before and I had this gorgeous platter of cheese and I brought it to her first and as I put it in front of her I thought I didn't mean to be cruel but I made a mistake but I put it it was too late I put it in front of her and she massacred the cheese she couldn't I mean you know she how could she have known and she then passed it to the person next to her who was a friend of mine who was just he he should just run the world he's so diplomatic He looked out at the table and chatted with people so that no one would pay attention to his hands. And he just about re-sculpted each of the cheeses (laughs) so that when they were passed to the next person, they looked perfectly French. Oh, my gosh. He's a magician. A magician. A magician, yes. I feel my own anxieties when I watch a person massacre a beautiful cheese. And it's, I I actually feel like finding that diplomacy of not screaming, you're cutting the fucking cheese wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have to walk away. (laughs) Walk away. You know, I think maybe I should find that little book and buy a stack of them as gifts for people. It's such a, it would be a really good gift. Although I don't know how you can give it to someone who will not then think, oh, Dory watched me cut cheese and thinks that I'm a terrible person. No, you just have to be like, I, th- I found this. I thought it was so cute. Right. Um, you know, like. Right. And, and, and yes, and present it with a slice of brie and a knife. Right. Yes. Good yeah. gift.
obviously you have a gigantic breadth of knowledge in the kitchen. Do you ever allow yourself to correct someone else's cooking or kitchen etiquette or have you just learned to be incredibly calm? No, 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 I, no, no, <laughs> no, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm getting nervous just thinking about it. First of all, I don't think of myself as someone who's expert enough to go in and correct someone. Unless you're my kid. I mean, you um, are, but that's okay. But no, 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 no. I mean, I wouldn't, I, no, I wouldn't do that. But I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. This is, this is a bunch of years ago. So we live in Connecticut near where Jacques Pépin lives. Mm-hmm. And I invited Jacques to come for dinner one night. And I was making blue cheese. Actually, no, I wasn't making blue cheese. I was making blue fish. And, <laughs> um, sorry. And I had marinated the fish. I don't remember something citrusy. I think I had some capers. I had like chunky things and acidy something. And I took the fish out of the pan that it was marinating in and gave it to Michael to grill. Mm -hmm. And Jacques was in the kitchen. Well, we have an open space so that if you're here, you're in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. Um, I was about to pour the marinade down the drain when Jacques came running to the sink and said, no, 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 you can't do that. No. And he, he didn't quite elbow me aside, but he <laughs> did kind of take up that space that I had been in. Um, and he said, you make a sauce out of that. Do you have a tomato? I said, yes, takes a tomato. And he has the best technique. I mean, I once watched him chop a head of garlic faster than a food processor did it i mean he's wow. amazing so he took the the tomato and he peeled it because he's french um and he i i think like tomatoes grow peeled in france and he chopped <laughs> it up and he warmed that marinade and he made a sauce for the fish and i was so grateful and i that's what i do now mm-hmm. You know, I use that that marinade. So I maybe if I had an idea as good as that, I might politely tap you on the shoulder and say, oh, I have an idea. But no, no, I'm so happy to be invited to other people's homes for dinner. You know, in France, if you don't know the person really well, um, you'll never see the person's kitchen. It's not really, you're not really invited to help clear the table and bring the dishes in. You just stay put. Well, you're an actual guest, which is so nice. Which is so nice. Which <laughs> not is like so here where nice. it's, and now we're all going to get up and clear. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Because you know that the next night or, or next week, It'll be your turn. And it's like full service, you know, (laughs) let's break it down. And, you know, if you cook, I clean. And then everyone's always cooking or cleaning. But if one person is doing it, then you get some time off. Yeah. You're a guest. I also wondered, I used to think that it was um, because everybody's kitchen looked like my kitchen after I'd made dinner, which is like everything all over the place. And so they just didn't want you to see that. That yeah. might be the case. I don't know. I mean, good friends will let you come in and, you know, grab something, help them. But if you're a first-time guest, nope. Switching tax a little bit, you got to work with Julia Child, which is the fact that Amazing. I can even utter that phrase is unreal. How did that happen? <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, like my favorite, the favorite way I like to start a paragraph is, when I worked with Julia Child, yeah. yeah, it's pretty amazing. I met Julia in 1991 when my first cookbook came out. I had met a man, Jeff Drummond, here in Connecticut, and he was a, a producer, a television um, producer, and um, he was working at on a program with BU and they were inviting people to do demos and he invited me to be part of this and so there I was I had never I mean I was the kid in the back of the class who never raised her hand and now I mean and I thought as a writer I could just sit home and write my books who knew that you (laughs) yeah yeah who knew you had to go out and like be in the world with them and so I was on this program with Jacques 
and Julia and little me. And when it was over, she, oh, Julia was so lovely. She came up to me and she was tall. I mean, like really tall. There's a line in, I don't remember which book it is, but it's attributed to her mother. So Julia had a sister and a brother. And her mother said that, she said, I'm responsible for 18 feet of children. (laughs) (laughs) So Julia was really tall and I'm not. And she came and she put her arm around me and she said, let's have dinner together. You'll sit with me. So there was a dinner for all of the participants and Julia made sure that I sat with her. And so I got to know her that way. And when Jeff produced, started to work on the Baking with Julia project, which is the project I worked on, he and Julia came to me and asked if I would write the book. And I said, no. I had just started working for the Food Network and I thought, I'm in showbiz. I'm finished Mm. with this cookbook stuff, right? Yeah, I'm like, I'm a showbiz girl. And I said, no. And about six months later, nine months later, I thought, I'm not a showbiz girl. This is really (laughs) not for me. And I called called and said, who'd you get to write the book? And they said, we haven't found anyone yet. And so I raised my hand. So I got to live in Cambridge, which is where Julia lived, for two months while we did the shoot. And then I got to, well, even before then, and for years until she until she died. Um, I spoke to Julia almost every morning. We would just start the morning together and just talk about what was going on. When I would come back from Paris, she'd be the first person I would call. and She'd she'd ask the same two questions. Is the food still good? And can you still buy cooked beets in the market? Is that a thing in Paris? Yeah. So there are beets. They're big and they're cooked. Some is steamed, I think. Um, Some are wood fire cooked. Mm -hmm. And they're at the vegetable vendor's stand in a cardboard box. And the vendor takes a big fork and sticks it in the beet and puts it in a paper bag, which gets red immediately. And of course, (laughs) everything you buy, but, but they're cooked. They're cooked. You take them home, you peel them, you have beets. And uh, Julia was just obsessed with that. So is the food still good? And um, can you still buy beets in the, in the market? But she was remarkable. And she was just who she was. The person you saw on television was Julia. That Mm. was her. And she was, she was just smart and curious and so encouraging. She really wanted women to be in Food, and she really encouraged and helped other women in their careers, which is a good thing, a really yeah. good thing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny that this word authentic has become so sort of such a, a catch-all and it's so overused now, but the way that you're describing her, it's like, well, she was genuinely just true to herself, which is rare and wonderful. Well, I found myself swallowing what I was saying, telling you about her. I found myself swallowing the word authentic because, because it is so overused, but it is true. She was Julia. You, if you, if you met her in the supermarket, she would, I actually, we once, she once wanted to play hooky for the day from shooting. And so I have a, I have a little card that's like the size of a jelly bean and her hair was lacquered. So I couldn't take the top down. So like I folded her into the car and I said, where do you want to go? And she said, I want to go to the supermarket. And so we went shopping and people stopped, Julia, Julia, how do you pick a watermelon? How do you pick a cantaloupe? Is this, you know, is this peach ripe? And she stopped and talked to everyone. That's so amazing. And so different from the way we think about celebrities and celebrities and food now who are like these untouchable people, whereas it should be someone that the community can go to for advice because they're good at something. You know, they're not an entertainer, like a show. It's like, no, no, this is someone who, please help me figure out which of these grapefruits is going to be the best. You know, that's, that's what she want, always what she wanted to do. And she did it. I loved that 
tuna sandwich recipe yeah, that you published that. of hers <laughs> so much. In fact, I think probably the day that you published it, my dad made it. I mean, yeah. you know, we make all of your stuff, but that one definitely <laughs> was brought up rather quickly. And in it, you mentioned that Pepperidge Farms and Hellman's were deemed right. essential. So do you have things like that in your own kitchen, you know, certain classics that you always use or things that other people might assume that a home chef would make from scratch, but that you actually mm-hmm. just prefer to buy? Okay. So we just got a new refrigerator and my complaint is that the door doesn't have enough space. Mm. It's like, uh, that's, that's my favorite part of the refrigerator, all the stuff on the door. Right. So I feel like if I have preserved lemons, if I have ketchup, if I have chili sauce, if I have soy sauce, if I have sriracha, if I have gochujang, if I have like all you know, three different kinds of mustard, if that door is full, then I can make anything taste good. I don't know that I have anything that would surprise you. Mm. I just have a lot of whatever I've got. Yes. Yeah. They're like toys. It's fun to have things to play with. Um, And when I'm working on creating recipes, I'll often just, you know, open the refrigerator door and think, what else could go in this? What would bring some pop to a dish? Yeah. I mean, I think of my refrigerator door in much the same way where it has, you know, different like Mexican salsas that have peanuts in them and freshly ground pepper. And, you know, then there's Yuzu Kosho and all kinds of stuff where oh, you I can... love Yuzu Kosho. So good. So oh, good. unbelievable. And it's yes. so great to be able to just take a recipe in a totally different direction or to finish it with something or... Yeah. If you have these choices, especially now since we're not going out and shopping all that much, um, and you have lemons and limes, no house should ever be without lemon and lime. Yeah. You can you can make a hamburger taste like something, you know, brand brand new. And that's that's the fun of being in the kitchen. Do yeah. you keep your lemons and limes things. in the refrigerator or on the counter? Oh, so what I a question. Have, <laughs> yeah, no, because I've thought about this. Um, I prefer keeping them on the counter, but I keep them. Most of them in the refrigerator. I always have some out. Where do you keep yours? Well, I always kept them on the counter. And then I, ugh, my my dad's coming up a lot in this episode, but he <laughs> sent me a whole thing about where best to keep your produce. And it said to keep them in the refrigerator. So really, I'm trying that now, but I find it, I don't like keeping hardly anything in the refrigerator. I'm like very into having things at room temperature as much as possible. So the idea of keeping my citrus in the fridge is like, oh, that sucks. I'm surprised that you're supposed to keep them in the fridge. I was doing that reluctantly. But again, this might be the American optimization thing, right? Of like- If you want your lemon to last for two months, keep it in the fridge. Right. I feel like you keep using them at a pace where they never get to that hard right. dried stage because you're just using them. Totally. Like olive oil. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. I have to, since we're coming to the end of our time, I just have to throw in this one question that's been kind of eating me alive and, and <gasps> really just ruining a lot, a, a lot of my breakfast. Why are most croissants bad? Oh. Why can't people get it together? <laughs> what is what is the thing that people? <laughs> it's just insane the 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 difference between a a good croissant and just all the ways it can go wrong and how like a bad croissant they're just everywhere. They don't even resemble one another. No. Yeah. It's and, crazy. and and the, we accept them. <laughs> you poor baby. Oh, so if it'll make you feel any better, it's easy to find a bad croissant in Paris too. Wow. But okay, but wait, wait, wait. But let's but wait, but let's have a let's let's just think. What makes a croissant not good for you? I think well, it can go so many different ways. I think probably as if the whole thing is if you don't get the the kind of crispiness of the of the texture and then the flakiness of the inside when it's all just kind of like damp. So weird. <laughs> it's like it was <laughs> packed really in plastic. Whole, yeah. That, that's bad. Yeah. My pet peeve with almost anything that's baked is paleness. Mm. Right. I right. If you don't have color, you don't have flavor. You're missing out on the butters and the, the butter and the sugar caramelizing and getting full 
flavor, right? Okay, so yeah, I'm with you on pale, damp, damp, damp is bad. Damp is uh, disaster. Right? Uncooked in the center, that's yeah. bad too, you know, so that when you pull it and there's that lump of wet dough in the center, Oof. that's not good, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's an issue, isn't it? Can't help you. You could make them yourself. Ari, what if I, this is your first baking calling? I don't think I could. My sister makes incredible croissants. She's a professional baker, and I don't think I could ever. Why doesn't she send them to you? Good idea. Could Frozen. They... And you could bake them yourself. Oh. <gasps> Why doesn't she send them to me? That sister of yours. That's oh, my God. Sister. Ari, this is also like a great business for her, right? Yeah, I'm sending, I send good frozen croissants all over the U.S., the continental okay. U.S. Dory Wait, has to get a cut of it. Since we're talking about frozen baked goods, I'm a person who always wants to have a cookie on hand, but maybe didn't want to bake it right then. Are there good doughs to freeze and what is the best way do you par bake do you not like what's the story mm, no, no, no never no, no. never okay, okay. no 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 well okay so there are a lot of people bake cookies and freeze the baked cookies that sounds I, not good i don't think you should do that so if you want cookies on demand then think about slice and bake cookies where you mm -hmm. make a roll of dough mm -hmm. right and then you wrap the dough really really well and freeze it Think about scoop cookies where you scoop the dough. I just realized that I'm doing this action with my hands and they look like claws. I'm like <laughs> scooping. Like, um, use a scoop. Right. Um, scoop the cookies as with the gougere. Put them on a, a board or however, whatever will fit in your freezer. Freeze them. And then when they're solid, pack them. And then you can bake one cookie or three cookies. Anything that you you can freeze. And in baking, a freezer is a tool. It's like a mixer. I mean, I used to think freezer, oh, it's not fresh. But with baking, a lot of times, freezing something actually makes it better. Making a tart shell mm -hmm. and freezing it and then baking it. So, But with cookies, yeah, you could make the World Peace cookie, which is a chocolate cookie. Mm -hmm. that has chocolate chunks in it and salt and is a slice and bake. And you could have a treat. If okay. I'm making these when we hang up and I'm yes. going to put them in, I'm going to cook some now and then put the rest in the freezer. That's very, very good Intel. Thank you. Now, now and what, what did I once call them? Um, like now and then cookies or now and later, but yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, like a now and later cookie. Brilliant. Yep. Okay. There you go. Okay. It's very helpful. Good. Well, so now we have, your croissant will arrive frozen, <laughs> right? Your cookies will be frozen. Yep. You can wake up at two in the morning and have exactly what you want. Yeah. Oh it's a world. <laughs> <laughs> we do have one last question, which I will let Ari ask. <laughs> oh, thank you for giving me this honor. You're welcome. <laughs> This is a silly question that we try and ask all of our guests if we remember. If you, Dory Greenspan, were stuck on a desert island all by your lonesome and you only had one bag of chips, <gasps> what kind of chips would you like to have accompanying you on this desert island? Chocolate. Chocolate Ooh, chips. Oh, my gosh. Wow, you just blew everyone else's answers away. That was very good. Wow. But, it never, but, you know, as you were saying chips, I was thinking, what is she talking about? There's only one kind of chip. Chocolate. Very on brand. Yeah. That's that is so good. Perfect. Yeah, most people, oh. uh, Lay's, uh, Kikot, <laughs> chocolate. That's perfect. Chocolate. Of course. Of course. Why didn't I think of that? There you go. You know what I have to say? Well, I have a lot to say, but if you ask anyone who works in food, like, how did you get into this? The correct and probably the rote answer is like, well, you know, I love like nourishing people and cooking for people. And there's like some gratitude involved and just like about, you know, giving. Mm -hmm. But I would say that like 
that is not necessarily true with every food professional you meet. Like it doesn't come across in their personality. There are a lot of egos involved and big heads in this industry. But Dory Greenspan is someone who she just, she exudes that mentality. It makes total sense that, that she has gone so far in her career because she just, she just wants to give and spread love and joy and nourishment. And it just, it's a part of everything she does and, and the way she lives her life. Totally. I couldn't agree more. I would have jumped in, but there was nothing for me to say because you said it so succinctly. Well, Dory, thank you so much for, you know, giving us the joy of getting a little bit of time with you and we'll have to invite you over to a dinner party. Oh my gosh. gosh. Well, that would be too scary. We'll be too intimidated. Maybe we should do like a picnic or something. No, we have to do it. Come on. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Dory. We love you so much. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, listeners. We hope everyone is staying safe. There's maybe a light at the end of the tunnel now. Maybe some dinner parties happening in our future. I don't know. Hey, congrats to all of you guys who have gotten vaccinated. Uh, I'm just waiting for mine, counting down the days. That's right. Anyway, we love you guys. We will see you next week and on Chip Hour. Bye. Bye. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.